and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap from what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty in Cincinnati, and joining me from Denver, Colorado, is my good friend and your host, Michael John Cusick. Hey there. Brian, another one, and so good to be with you. Yeah, good to be with you as well. Today's title is Understanding Freedom, but I wanted to uh, talk a little bit briefly about a conference that you're going to be taking part in just a few weeks called the Apprentice Gathering. What can you tell us about the conference, Michael? Well, I am so excited about this. Uh, Jim Smith, a.k.a. James Brian Smith, author of The Good and Beautiful God and the soon-to-be-released The Good and Beautiful You, uh, Jim is the founder of the Apprentice Institute at Friends University in Wichita, and he was kind enough to invite me to be a speaker there. And then as we started talking, um, he asked whether or not Kelly, one of our intensive therapists, would come and do some stuff. And so actually our whole Restoring the Soul team is going to be there. And so there's a number of uh, couples and individuals that I've personally worked with in intensives over the years who are going to be there. And I just thought, let's let everybody who listens to the podcast know about the conference. So I will be doing a keynote on a forthcoming book about our spirituality and how that relates to our emotional developmental attachments. I'll be doing a day-long workshop with Kelly Gray uh, on the Enneagram and shame, and then I'll be doing a talk on uh, sex, God, and the soul. So it'll be a busy three days for me, but it's really a, a major conference at the Apprentice Gathering, and other folks who have been on my podcast, like Susie Larson, uh, Jim Smith, um, Kelly herself, and then uh, my friend Bruce McNichol and Robbie Angle, who run True Face Ministries out of Phoenix, and uh, they're the co-authors of The Cure, along with John Lynch, who's been on the podcast. But uh, Scott McKnight, who is one of my favorite theologians and authors, and Juanita Rasmus from Houston, who is an author and spiritual director, Emily P. Freeman, who is an author of several best-selling books, and a uh, big emphasis on soul care, spiritual direction, and what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus. So I invite anybody listening to come, and Brian, you give that information for when and where, if you will. Sure thing. Uh, September 23rd through the 25th. That's um, not long uh, from now. And you can go to the website simply apprenticeinstitute.org, apprenticeinstitute.org. And again, this is going to be at Friends University in Wichita, Kansas. And I'm hoping to be able to join you there as well. We can grab uh, some of those other um, speakers, Michael, and, and I'm sure we could do a couple uh, episodes there on location. That, that would be really a lot of fun. Yeah, that would be fantastic. The thing I'm most excited about is not only will I be there and Kelly will be there, but my wife Julianne will be there and all of our staff. So all of our therapists, uh, our care coordinator, and we'll have a table where you can come and meet us and we'll have books and free balloons and hot dogs for the kids. <laughs> it sounds great. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, stay tuned. Uh, the next couple of weeks, we'll give you guys uh, a heads up more about uh, the Apprentice uh, Gathering. But uh, let's get to the business at hand, uh, Michael, as we head into uh, the next chapter of Surfing for God, uh, entitled Understanding Freedom. And you assert that before we can really experience freedom, we must understand what freedom really is. 
What were you thinking here? Well, freedom is a word that is used, you know, by every Christian. And I, I came to Jesus. I, I asked him into my heart. I accepted Christ. I trusted him. I believed the gospel. And now I'm free. And I'll often ask individuals or if I'm teaching somewhere, you know, what does that mean? What did it mean when you came to Christ when you were free? And we're not going to go into all of the, the theological details of that, but I think we'd all agree that we're free. And yet, just like you said at the beginning of the podcast, that we exist to close the gap, right? There's this gap between who we're meant to be and what we actually are. Or more recently, I like to say there's this gap between what we believe and what we actually experience. And so it's true that we are free, and yet our life in a body, our life in relationships, our life on planet Earth uh, impacts us in a way so that we all have something or many things in our life uh, with which we are not free. So let me start with a basic definition of freedom. And this is uh, in Surfing for God, where I quote Gerald May, and he says, the freedom question then is not about whether we can do whatever we want, but whether we can do what we most deeply want. So I like to think of freedom as the ability to be exactly who we are before God and others with an overflowing heart and to direct our heart in the direction that we most deeply desire. And so the absence of freedom is, number one, that I can't be exactly who I am because the world has told me who I need to be. You know, somewhere along the way, all of us in our story, we encounter voices, uh, implicit, explicit, spoken, unspoken, that say, it's not okay for you to be you because you're too sensitive, because um, you're too weak, you're too feminine and you're a boy or you're too masculine and you're a girl or you're not smart enough. And so all of those directives that come at us basically say, be more than who you actually are or be less, which takes us out of the realm of actually being able to be loved for who we are. So this first part of freedom is, can I actually be me? And when people struggling with sexual brokenness in particular, which is the subject that we're talking about in my book, that when they come to a place of being caught or when it is disclosed or when somehow they're in this moment of, oh, my gosh, I'm seen and it's it's not good. This this uh, issue with which I've struggled is now out there and I feel shame. The discovery where there really is a freedom is and I'm loved. I'm wanted by my creator, by the God of the universe that looks like Jesus. And that love and being desired, that affection from God, is not contingent on whether I change. And I get some pushback on this. People will say, well, wait wait a minute. God, you're saying God loves me just as I am and not as I should be or would be or will be. And yes, that's true. And that if we never change or never step into that place of what we could become, that we're still loved. So that's the starting point. And so let me frame it this way, Brian, and I'll pause and let you respond. I want to talk about freedom in three different ways. Freedom in, freedom from, and freedom to. 
Hmm. You know, Michael, as you um, laid out your the definition for freedom, I couldn't help but think about our friend John Lynch and the name of his uh, ministry that he's partnered with, Trueface. And, you know, God's desire for freedom, you think about what it's like when it was like for Adam and Eve in the garden, naked, unashamed, honest, transparent uh, before God. Now, as you t- talk about uh, surfing for God, define freedom then as it relates to pornography and other sexual addictions and how those uh, problems enter into the equation. How can you experience freedom as it relates to that? Yeah, so first of all, if you were to ask the average man or woman struggling with sexual sin, whether it's pornography or something more than that, what is freedom? They would say, freedom is me stopping what I'm doing, and if I'm really, really lucky, or if God is really gracious, or if I'm super blessed, then freedom means stopping what I'm doing and never wanting to do it again. So I'm free from the struggle. It's like it just doesn't affect me. But as you alluded to the Garden of Eden, that the first freedom really is the freedom of being our naked self. And I just want to allude to this because it's a it's a hilarious story that's true um, and sad in many ways. But when I was a young life leader back in the late 1980s, I took two brothers to a Cleveland Indians uh, baseball game. And there used to be like 80,000 seats in the stadium that no longer exists. And at any given time, even on a a, a, a busy, high-capacity game, it was only half full. So I'm sitting with the one brother right after the seventh-inning stretch, and I'm like, Where, where'd your brother go? And he says, I don't, I don't know. I think he met up with some friends. This is the day you know, before cell phones or anything like that. So we sit down after the seventh-inning stretch, and before they jump back on the field and start playing, this, this kid jumps over the fence, runs across – the baseball field and he's in center field and he drops his pants and he, ex- <laughs> he exposes his back end to oh. everybody in Cleveland stadium. And Am I, I turned- supposed to be laughing at this. I don't know. That yes. I'm supposed to be no, you can be okay. laughing. Um, I was, I was crying because I turned to the, to the guy next to me and I said, is that who I think it is? And he nodded his head. Yep. That's my brother. So, you know, at this point the crowd was standing up cheering for this guy because by then police had come from all corners and somebody, maybe even the, the baseball manager, was running after this kid. And he hadn't thought about what he was going to do after he dropped his pants in center field. So he runs over to the right field wall and the cops slapped the cuffs on him. And the reason why I included that story in a chapter on freedom is not because of, okay, he pulled down his pants and he was naked and therefore that's an example, but rather I was his youth minister and I felt incredibly exposed and I felt naked because I had to go to the police station and um, track him down and I had to contact his parents and I had this shame moment of I'm a failure as a youth leader. If I was uh, a better youth leader, I would have prevented this. And so it became a moment where my naked self of something bad happened under my watch that was exposed. And that's a theme in my story over and over and over again. And it's a theme that we talked about in our podcast episode on shame. And we've done many episodes on shame. That shame is not simply, oh, gosh, I 
I had a relapse and I looked at pornography again, but the shame is something deeper in us that says, I'm inadequate, I don't measure up, I'm flawed, I'm not good enough, I'm unworthy, unlovable, etc. And so in our sexual struggles, we can look in the mirror and see our struggle in ourself, and actually the first freedom is, and I'm loved. I'll say it this way, the first freedom is the knowledge and the understanding that we don't actually have to be free from our addiction in order to be loved. You looked like you were going to say something. No, I I, uh, am going through my mind and um, um, a number of things come to mind. Uh, One is the song, you know, certainly the hymn, just as I am, um, you know, that melody is, is playing in my head. The other thought is this notion that we as humans, individuals, men, women, children created in the image of God don't have to be cleaned up, you know, before we can present ourselves to the Father, that uh, He loves us as we are, where we are, who we are in in the present, uh, not who we're going to be. That's, you know, that is a whole other conversation in, in terms of of um, our future self and... Um, so it it really goes deep to my core, Michael, uh, and it's a it's an important truth to remember our relationship of who we are before God, naked and unashamed. So, Brian, this is such an important topic as we're talking about this this freedom in. We're going to talk about freedom from and freedom to, but I want to just spend this whole episode talking about this freedom in. And when we come back from the break, how about if we jump into a little bit of scripture and to unpack even more of this as it relates to our present day lives in Jesus? Yeah, I think that's a great, great idea. Uh, You're listening to Restoring the Soul with your host, Michael John Cusick. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty. Glad you're with us. We'll be back in one minute. You already know we live in a pornified world, but most of us are at a loss for how to navigate this sea of temptation. It's either ceaseless striving on the one hand or giving in to brokenness on the other. But doesn't the gospel offer us another way? The truth is that our sexual struggles are not actually about sex, but about a misdirected, God-given longing for deep connection. Dig deeper in my book, Surfing for God, Discovering the Divine Desire Beneath Sexual Struggle. Welcome back to Restoring the Soul. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty, along with Michael John Cusick. Michael, let's pick up where we left off and with uh, the idea of freedom in. Why don't you tease that out for us? Yeah, you bet. This idea of freedom in is the first aspect of freedom. So when I was caught on July 10th, 1994, in a lie, which then exposed my sexual sin, which exposed a double life, which exposed sexual addiction, and I almost lost my marriage with Julianne. And by the way, two days ago, we celebrated our 30th anniversary. So I am, thanks be to God, living proof that freedom happens. But back on that day, what happened for me long before I ever went, wow, I'm not doing these behaviors anymore. I'm not struggling addictively because I didn't know the outcome of my marriage. I didn't know every day when I woke up if that day I would 
relapse or act out sexually because I, I knew that making promises to God and others were just useless. So the first freedom was, wow, this is the very first time in my life at 30 years old that I have ever actually felt loved for who I am in the midst of the very worst thing and still not knowing if I could or would change. And so people have asked me from time to time, well, when did you become a Christian? And I'll say, well, either in 1980 when I prayed a prayer or multiple prayers to accept Jesus or 1994. And they'll say, well, what do you mean? That's a pretty big gap. 1994 on that day when everything blew open is the day where I came to know the love of God. And the gospel that I intellectually knew 14 years earlier really dropped down inside of me and it became quite integrated. So I want to do a quick walkthrough of this idea of freedom in from the book of Isaiah. So in Isaiah 61, I'm reading from the New International here, it says, um, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And listen to this second half of verse 3. This is the point I want to make here regarding this freedom in. After all of those words, the declaration is, they will be called mighty oaks, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And so this passage, Isaiah 61, is what Jesus read when he walked into the temple in Luke chapter 4. It says that he was in the desert for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He comes out of the desert, goes to his hometown of Nazareth, walks into the temple, and he is to read the scroll on this particular day. And on this particular day, it wasn't a random, like a grab bag of any particular verse. It was assigned in the Hebrew liturgical calendar to read this. And it's on this day that he announces his mission. My mission is this. My paraphrase would be, I am coming into the world to enter into everything broken, fallen, unfavorable, and I am going to bring goodness and wholeness out of it, including hearts that are broken, made whole, and freedom. And so, Isaiah 61, there is the promise of freedom. And then as he walks through, it's things like the broken heart, and mourning, and ashes, and lament, and this statement at the end, you will be a mighty oak, an oak of righteousness for the display of my splendor. I, I for a long time, was wondering, what is that? What's the oak about? So I went back through Isaiah, and in chapter one of Isaiah, that chapter is all about, it kind of sets the context for the book of Isaiah, where God is calling Israel back to himself. And all through the book, there's this back and forth, this rhythm between their belonging to him, which never changes, their unfaithfulness, 
him calling them back, stepping into a place of re-engaging with God. But their engagement is always a behavioral kind of thing. Their engagement is always coming back, following the rules, the law, sometimes to the letter, sometimes not, but going through the motions. And in Isaiah chapter 61, he actually says to Israel, your burnt offerings and sacrifices and new moon festivals, they are like a stench in my nostrils. It's a pretty remarkable passage where God is saying, I don't want you to do the religious stuff. I want your heart. And that's really what the whole book of Isaiah is about over and over again. And lo and behold, in verse 29, after God is basically lovingly exposing the Israelites, saying, I don't want your burnt offerings and sacrifices. In verse 29, he's talking about the ways that they turn away from him. And he says, you will be ashamed because of the sacred oaks in which you have delighted. You'll be disgraced because of the gardens that you have chosen. You will be like an oak with fading leaves, like a garden without water. And what that reference is, the first reference to an oak, is that the oaks were like a forest of sorts where the Israelites would go and they would worship other gods. So in this in this ancient Near East culture, the other religious systems and the other models of worshiping these gods that were no gods at all would involve sexual immorality, um, all kinds of sacrifice, including to the god Molech that required the sacrifice of children, Asherah, Baal, other familiar Old Testament gods that were actually idols. And so fast forward to Isaiah 61, we begin to see a little bit of this context of what God is saying, in my work of restoration and in my mission of making you whole, I'm actually going to take the place of your greatest shame, where you turn from me, you're spiritually adulterous, physically adulterous, bowing down to these other gods that required, frankly, a lot of um, really immoral sexual behavior in that place of shame that's where I'm going to heal you. Hmm. So even one more passage, as you move forward in Isaiah, you see this cycle playing out again and again, whereas verse 29 of chapter 1 talks about going to the oaks and delighting in that worship, actually delighting in it. In Isaiah 57, God says through Isaiah, addressing the Israelites, you who sacrifice your children to Molech, and burn with lust among the oaks, you will be in torment. So here it is again, 57 chapters later, and now the oaks actually does represent child sacrifice to Molech, and these are the children of Israel doing that. And there's a burning with lust that is involved that if you read the passage, it's more than just, well, I fell or I had a bad moment with lust, but that these Israelites, their hearts were bent on the satisfaction of their lust, and that led to the sacrifice of children and worship of the god Moloch. Okay, so that's pretty bad stuff, right? Chapter 1, chapter 57, and then chapter 61, Jesus walking into the temple, announcing his ministry that's going to unfold for three years. Because remember, this is basically his first sermon. He says, here's why I've come. I'm going to set people free. There's good news. 
The Spirit of God is on me to do this. And then as Jesus lives, he touches people and heals them. He sets them free from the demonic. He preaches a message that is good news because the ones who are blessed are the ones who are poor in spirit. The ones who are blessed are the ones who are mourning, the ones who are meek, the ones who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And that becomes his definitive sermon about this is what the kingdom of God is like. And so what is God doing? He's taking the place, and I'll say this in uh, the way now I'm speaking to listeners directly and not to reference the Old Testament Israelites. Jesus has come to meet you in the place of your deepest, darkest shame, and in that place, show you that you are deeply loved, deeply wanted, that the heart of God revealed in Jesus is full of affection for you. And I believe, though it doesn't have any logical understanding to it, that the God that looks like Jesus meets us in those moments, and with eyes filled with light, he looks at us and he says, I am so proud of you. And I'm sure there are listeners right now saying, well, how can that be? I mean, I know God loves us. I know that God loves us. Because Jesus has said that to me over and over again. And I believe his word unpacks that. And it's not like Jesus has to dig for a reason. But I think one of the reasons why I have felt that sense of pride, just like the Father opened up the heavens as Jesus was being baptized by John and said, this is my son, and with him I am well pleased. And so if the Father could say it to Jesus, and if the Father could say it over Jesus in front of others, then he says it to us. Because in John 15, Jesus said, just as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And that means that God the Father loves us just as much as he loves Jesus. And I'll take it a step further. Just as God the Father is proud of Jesus, so is he proud of us in our worst moments. How can that be? Because our deepest, darkest sin is us searching for life and searching for wholeness and searching to fill our heart's desire. Remember, Aquinas said that beneath every sinful behavior is a legitimate God-given appetite. And I can see God showing up to me or to others in that moment of, of darkness and shame and saying, I'm proud of you because you've not given up. Your heart still is hungry. And God sees that even beneath our sin, we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness And he knows out of a heart of compassion that this is the only way that we have known to try to fill our hunger and thirst for righteousness. And what we're filling ourselves with is unrighteous and hurting us and often unholy, but God sees the hunger beneath that. God honors that hunger and that thirst. Michael, I'm uh, going to call a little bit of an audible here and wonder if um, you could spend a moment and uh, praying for 
some of our listeners who now I know that are feeling the the tug on their hearts, and it's the Holy Spirit who is inviting them into freedom. And then there's a, a song that uh, we sing at our our church called "Come Again." Um, I think it's written by Elevation, um, and the the line that lines that were going through my head as you were sharing. The lyric says, it's not a building you want to fill, it's my heart. This empty space is what you wanted all along. And so the Lord is reaching out to you now, even through this very recording, this podcast, wherever you are today. And Michael, I wonder if you could 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 lead some of our listeners in prayer, and then I'd like to share uh, the song that I hopefully will be a blessing to those listening today. Absolutely. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the sovereign Lord, and you have given us your Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And thank you that you have anointed us, that you have anointed each and every one of us. And that means that whether someone is going through a divorce, whether they're recovering from sexual abuse or betrayal, from a family member, from a pastor, from a youth leader, whether they are struggling with an addiction, substances, pornography, sexual sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you have anointed us, meaning that you've made us your own and you've already demonstrated that you've given us your favor. And so thank you that that everything you say over us is good news. And I pray for the one listening right now. I'm sure that there are some who have been afraid or unable to even hope for freedom again. And I suspect, Lord, that that's because they've tried over and over and over to find freedom and nothing has worked. So I pray that you'd give them confirmation, affirmation, and reminder that this very first freedom of being known, being naked, this freedom in is the start of it all. So that from that place, Lord, we are in a place of wanting to be free and to heal and not needing to heal to get your love. And so I pray for you to fan the flames of hope, not a hope for people that there would be enough willpower to make it through or to resist, but a hope that would be rooted in being deeply, deeply loved. And so, Jesus, may you pour out your grace and your mercy to release those who are caught in darkness, who are prisoners to addiction who are bound up by trauma from the past and don't know the way forward. I pray that you would bind up the brokenhearted and speak your freedom over them. I pray for those who are mourning, as you referred to in Isaiah 61. Bring a comfort and a presence in a way that would sustain and transform. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for your kindness for your compassion, 
for your gentleness, for your patience, and for your generosity. And so to every listener, wherever they are listening, I pray a blessing of the very shalom of Jesus over you on your journey. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
where you wanna live. It's where you wanna be. You wanna dwell right here with me. It's not a building you wanna fill. It's my heart. This empty space is what you wanted all along. It's not a building you wanna fill. It's my heart. <laughs> This empty space is what you wanted all along. Yeah. It's not a building you wanna fill. It's my heart. Yeah. This empty space is what you wanted all along. Hey. Yeah. It's not a building you wanna fill. It's my heart. What you wanted all along what you wanted all along It's not a building you want to fill Tell him it's okay to be bold like that. 
So we've wrapped up another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. In fact, the heart of what we have done for nearly 20 years is intensive counseling. When you can't wait months or years to get out of the rut you're in, our intensive counseling programs in Colorado allow you to experience deep change in half-day blocks over two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com. Mm-hmm.